If you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 7, we're going to be in Romans chapter 7 this morning. And before we do that, I have a question to ask you. Do you ever feel pressure to measure up? Do you ever feel pressure to perform? I know I do. I feel, I feel pressure like to be a good dad. I follow this guy on his name is John Acuff, and, uh, and he's a writer and, and a speaker, and, and he just seems like an incredible dad. He posts all these pictures of all these things that he's doing with his kids, and I look at those pictures and I think, man, I am a bad dad. And this morning solidifies that fact. Dana and Haley are away, so it's me and Zachary. And usually I get up early and come to uh, the office on a Sunday morning. And so we got up early and came over here. And I'm sitting in my office, and I look at Zachary, and I say, you didn't have breakfast, did you? (laughs) And he's like, no. So don't tell Dana. Uh, Don't tell Dana. But I did offer to take him back home, but he said no. So, uh, So we'll just have a big lunch. But I mean, I feel pressure to be uh, to be a good dad, and there's a lot of times I feel like I am just horrible. I feel pressure to be a good husband. I have some friends that are really good husbands. They lovingly lead and they lovingly serve their wives, and I look at them, and I feel like I don't measure up. Like I don't do a good job loving the wife that God has blessed me with. I feel the pressure to be a good preacher. I listen to Matt Chandler and Tullian Division and others, and man, they are gifted. They are incredibly, incredibly gifted. And then I get up here twice a month, hoping and praying that God would honor my preparation and give me something to say, something that brings him honor and glory. And when I'm done, I usually feel two things. I feel relief that it's over, And I feel defeat because I could have done better. I feel the pressure to be a good preacher. I feel the pressure to be a good friend. I've often told my kids that to to have good friends, you need to be a good friend. To have good friends, you need to be a good friend. And, And I'm thankful for the friends that God has brought into my life. But a lot of times, I'm so wrapped up into my stuff that I don't look for opportunities to connect with or serve my friends like I should. Now, I know that for some of you, the pressure that I face is not the same pressure that you face. But I would, I would venture a guess that all of us in this room here this morning feel some kind of pressure to measure up to something. If you're in middle school or high school, maybe you feel the pressure to achieve the pressure to achieve like your friends, whether it's in the classroom or it's, it's on the stage or it's on the field or court, you feel the pressure to achieve and you see all your friends have this success and you're discouraged because you haven't attained it. But you feel that pressure. If you're here and you're a college student, maybe you feel the pressure to figure out what God wants you to do with the rest of your life and you look around and you see your friends and he is, God's made their, cla- their path very clear, and you feel this pressure to figure it all out. Like, I need to know what I should do for the rest of my life. 
If you're here and you're an adult, maybe you feel the pressure to make a career change. To make that career change or to improve in some area of your professional life or your personal life. Or maybe as an adult, you're here and feel the pressure to kind of live this balanced life that focuses on developing your relationship with God and your, your relationship with friends and families and your responsibilities at work. And you feel this pressure. Whatever it may be, I'm fairly certain that all of us in this room have walked in here feeling some kind of pressure to measure up to some standard, to achieve some standard in our life. And we feel that pressure this morning. Well, Paul in Romans 7, verses 1 to 6, as he's writing to the Roman Christians, and he wants to talk to them about the pressure of living up to the law, the pressure of measuring up to the law. And so if you have your Bibles there in Romans 7, let's read this together. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over some, someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what was once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. And as you look at these six verses, I think the main point of this passage is we can either live by rules, or we can live by a relationship. And another way to state that is simply this. True release comes from a relationship with Jesus, not from rules. True release comes from a relationship with Jesus, not from rules. And Paul begins this, uh, this passage of Scripture again with a question and an answer in verse, in, in verse 1. And he starts off and he says, Do you not know? He's introducing a teaching that he assumes his readers will be familiar with. That's why he says, do you not know? I mean, you, you're all aware of this, Paul is saying. You know this. You've been taught this. And then he goes and says, brothers and sisters. This is a term of endearment for those who have faith in Christ, those who are part of God's family. And so he says, do you not know, brothers and sisters? Christians, you, ha you know this. You have been taught this. And then he says, those who know the law. If you read through the chapter 7 in Romans, you'll see that law is a very familiar word. It's mentioned in the NIV 22 times, over and over and over again. And the law, again, refers to the Mosaic law system, the, the laws that God gave Moses that he recorded in the first five books of the Old Testament. It's the Ten Commandments and 603 other laws. So that's the law that, Mo, that, that, that Paul is talking about. And when Paul is writing to those who know the law, he's not just singling out the Jewish Christians in Rome, 
but he's also talking to the Gentile Christians as well. Paul cites the Old Testament more in the book of Romans than any other of his letters. So he's assuming that his audience, whether Jews or Gentiles, is familiar with the Mosaic law, is familiar with the Old Testament law. He knows that they're familiar with it, and so he's addressing them as those who know the law. And he goes on and says, the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. And Paul is highlighting a principle that was well, not, well known by those familiar with the Old Testament and was communicated in other Jewish literature of the time. The law rules over a person only as long as they're living. The law regulated the, the, the activities of the living and not the dead. And so here Paul starts off with this obvious question in verse 1. He says, how long does the law have authority over someone? And the obvious answer is this, as long as they're living. Laws only apply to the living. Laws only apply to the living. And so he starts off with this question and answer. How long does the law have authority over someone? As long as they're living. That's pretty profound, isn't it? That's an amazing statement. No one would have ever figured that out. But so far in Romans, Paul has told us that the law has authority over the living, but the problem is that none of us can live out the law completely. We can't, we can't measure up to it. We can't, we can't achieve it. We can't attain it. So how do we get from out, out from under the authority of the law? The only way to break the bondage of the law is through death. Because a dead man can no longer pursue keeping the law. As a matter of fact, a dead man can't, can't be prosecuted or punished by the law either. And I don't know if you've ever watched TV during the day, but there's a lot of court shows on TV. Growing up, it was the People's Court with Judge Wapner. I remember seeing him with, with his gray hair and and all these, and now it's you know Judge Judy or Judge Joe Brown, and all of these shows have have the same thing in common. They they drag these deadbeats into court, and and they uh, they bring all these ridiculous charges, and 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 trying to make this good TV. It's the craziest things they go to court for, and it's the same kind of thing over and over and over again, no matter who it is. But you know what? In all of those court shows. They've yet to drag a dead person into court. A lot of dead beats, not a dead person. And try him for something. And you know why? Because he's dead. And laws only apply to the living. Because he's dead. And if you remember back to Romans 6, Paul says that believers have died with Christ and therefore sin and the law are no longer our masters. So he begins with this question, you know, how, uh, how long does the law apply to someone? As long as they are living. And then he moves on to an analogy. In verses 2 and 3, and the analogy is marriage. And in last, last week in Romans 6, at the end of Romans 6, we saw Paul use an analogy of slavery. And now he uses an analogy of marriage. And some would say, well, that's basically the same thing. Marriage, slavery, pretty similar. Uh, uh, but uh, just kidding. Uh, but, but now he's using this marriage analogy. And, uh, and he's making this analogy to marriage law to reinforce the point that he just made in the first verse. The law has no authority on those who are no longer living. 
Now, it's important as you look at these two verses, this is not the definitive passage on divorce and remarriage in the Bible. We're not talking about that this morning. If we were going to talk about that, we'd go to Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 and, and 1 Corinthians 7, but we're not talking about that this morning. Paul is simply using this as, uh, as a teaching opportunity, using this marriage and, and uh, this, this analogy of marriage as an illustration that believers have been released from the law or the rules and have entered into a new relationship, a new loving relationship with Christ. And in verses 2 and 3 and verse 6, we see this word release. This word release, it's an important word. A new relationship is only possible when there is release from the old. And the word release basically means to become freed from, not subject to, no longer under the authority of another. And so Paul uses this marriage analogy to remind us that true release comes from a relationship with Jesus, not from the rules. It's just just an opportunity to illustrate marriage law. That laws only apply to the living, and once you've died, it no longer applies to you. You're released from it. And so then we move on to verses 4 to 6, and now we see Paul kind of gets to the heart of what he's talking about, the application of his point. And look at those verses with me. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so with the phrase, so my brothers and sisters, Paul transitions to the application, and he offers a few action steps for us few action steps for us believers to remember. And number one, he says, declare our death to the law. Declare our death to the law. In verse four, he says, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. And died to the law emphasizes the completeness and finality of death to the law and its penalty. John MacArthur said this, obedience to the law was never a means of salvation. The law has power only to condemn men to death for their sin, but no power to redeem them from it. Paul has already pointed out that God's grace extended by faith in Jesus Christ brings death to and freedom from sin. And now he declares that faith in him also brings death to the law and consequently freedom from the law's penalty. We've died to the law. We're free from its penalty. And we died to the law through the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 5, we talked about the death of Christ being the basis of our justification. The basis of our justification. God declaring us righteous. In Romans chapter 6, we talked about the death of Christ being the basis of our sanctification. Pursuing to becoming more like Christ little by little. Becoming holy. And now here in in chapter 7, Paul talks about the death of Christ being the basis of our emancipation from the law. 
Through Christ's death on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin because of our inability to keep the law. And because of that amazing act of love, Christians are freed from their relationship to the law like a widow is freed from her relationship to her former husband. And that's the point that Paul's trying to make here. We've been released from the penalty of the law. Paul talks about this change of relationship with the law and Christ in Galatians 3, 24 and 25 when he said this, so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Paul said the law was a guardian. What does that mean? What does that mean to us? Well, a guardian or a tutor in Roman and Greek families was a slave that was employed to bring up the boys, to train the boys on behalf of their parents. They took them to and from school. They made sure they studied their lessons. They trained them in obedience. They were strict disciplinarians. They took their job very, very seriously, that they were trying to bring up these boys, uh, that they would excel in school and excel in knowing the truth. But the role of the guardian or tutor was never permanent, and it was a celebrated day when a boy gained his freedom from his guardian. And at that time, the relationship changed. The relationship changed. The guardian, having completed his assignment, had no more authority or control over the boy. And here in in Galatians 3, Paul said the law was a guardian. It had that role of guardian, leading men to Christ so that they might be justified by faith. Our faith in Christ releases us from the discipline or penalty of the law, but it's important to recognize that it doesn't release us from fulfilling the moral characteristics of God's law. It doesn't give us the freedom to live our lives any way that we want. We're we're free from the penalty of the law, but the moral standards that God's communicated in his law through the scriptures, our new relationship with Jesus Christ should motivate us to pursue those things. The law didn't die. We died to the law and its condemnation. So we need to declare our death to the law because true release comes from a relationship with Jesus, not from rules. Second thing we need to do is we need to celebrate our new life in Jesus. Again, in verse 4 in Romans 7, it says that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. After a, marriage celebration, after a marriage ceremony, there's usually a celebration, right? There's usually, uh, uh, they go to, to this reception, and, and they celebrate this, this new life beginning of this couple comes together, and as believers who have faith in Jesus Christ, we have started a new life in Christ, and that is something that we should celebrate. And Paul says, hey, you know, declare our death to the law, and now celebrate our new life in Christ, Paul said the law used to be our husband, but a death has occurred. The believer has died to the law. The death of the believer took place when by faith that person became identified with the crucified Christ. Christ's death to and for sin becomes our death to sin. And the purpose of its death is that we might belong to another husband, to one that was raised from the dead, Jesus And the one in whom we died becomes the very one in whom we find our new life. 
We have a new life in Christ. This is something we should celebrate. Paul says we belong to another. Our Savior becomes our new husband. We're married to Jesus. And if you read through God's word, it's, it's a beautiful picture because we have this personal relationship with him. And when you read through his word, you'll see that believers are called the bride and Jesus is called the bridegroom. Through our faith in Jesus, we're married to Christ. We, we have this new relationship, this personal relationship. We used to be married to the law, which revealed our sin before we were Christians. And now we've been released for marriage to the master, Jesus Christ, who saved us from our sins. We have a new relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus. Paul goes on to say, to him who was, who was raised from the dead. And at most marriage ceremonies, when you get to the vow part, you see that the couple looks at each other and they re repeat this phrase, till death do us part. And when they repeat that phrase, it's a powerful reminder of the commitment that the couple makes to one another that the only thing that, that will sever this commitment is death. Is death. And Paul says to him who was raised from the dead, says Jesus was raised from the dead, and Paul's implying our new relationship to Christ is an eternal one. We belong to one and are joined to one who will never die again. This is an eternal relationship. It's a relationship. We've de we died to the law and we have uh, celebrate our new life in Christ. We have forgiveness from the penalty of the law. So we should celebrate our new life in Jesus because true release comes from a relationship with Jesus, not from rules. And finally, the last thing that Paul says is this. We need to live a fruitful life serving our Savior, not sin. Again, at the end of verse 4, it says, in order that we might bear fruit for God. And the underlying emphasis of the whole book of Romans is that salvation produces total transformation. A changed heart produces a change in our lives. That's what Romans is all about. And so Paul says, you know what? We need to live a fruitful life serving our Savior, not sin. And Paul talked of fruit in, in Colossians 1, 9 and 10 when he said this, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit, the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And so Paul talks about this fruit, this fruit to understand God's will found in his word and seek to live it out, seek to, to follow it, seek to, to be about serving our Savior. Serving our Savior. And so godly fruit is displayed in our attitudes and actions which glorify God. And, and Jesus said in John 15, 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And Jesus made it clear that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your life should be one that is very fruitful. It should be fruitful. You should seek to honor God and glorify him in your choices, in your attitudes, in your actions. And if we say we have faith, then there better be some fruit. 
there better be some fruit in our lives. Paul goes on in Romans 7, verse 5. It says, when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. When we were in the, when we were in the flesh, when we were unredeemed, when we were a non-Christian controlled by our sinful nature and desires, our sinful passions and impulses to do evil were aroused or awakened by the law, Paul says. Not only did the law reveal sin, but because of our sinful, rebellious nature, it roused sin. I read a story uh, this week about a hotel, a new hotel that was built on the Gulf of Mexico in Galveston, Texas. It was a beautiful hotel. It was right on the water. And as you walked into the hotel on the first floor, they had this very fancy restaurant with a wall of windows that overlooked the Gulf with a beautiful view. And then every room had a balcony that overlooked the water. And the owner of this hotel had a, had, had a very big concern. He was, he was afraid because of the balcony and the hotel was so close to the water and because the balconies overlooked the water that people would fish from the balconies. And he was worried that because of the high winds and the lead sinkers that those eating in the first floor restaurant would be interrupted with the clanging of those lead sinkers on the, on the windows. So they had this great idea. They were going to put the signs in every room that said no fishing from the balcony. And do you know what happened? A new sport happened at the hotel, balcony fishing. Everybody became a fisherman. And they got out in their balcony, put their bait on, put their lead sinker on, and cast away. And so those eating in the restaurants heard this clank, clank, clank all the time. And sometimes even the glass started to crack. And so the management, realizing that they made a mistake, you know what they did? They took out all the signs in the rooms, and guess what happened over a few months? The fishing stopped. The fishing stopped. Because after all, that's the first thing you think of when you go out in a balcony, right, and see water. Where's my fishing pole? Let's go fishing. No, see, they saw the law, no fishing from the balcony, and what did the law do? It, it roused that rebellious nature in them, and so they thought, well, hey, let's fish. It's a good spot to fish. We don't even need to go anywhere. That's what Paul says the law does to us. And he goes on in verse 6, and says, By now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Our death to sins means that we've been released and are no longer under the authority of the law. And Paul says this gives us freedom to serve in a new way, to serve in the Spirit. And in the next chapter in Romans, we're going to talk about life in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get there next chapter. But it says we need to serve in the Spirit. And this is not freedom to live our lives any way that we want. But this is the ability to pursue sanctification and a life of holiness with the help of the Holy Spirit. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, because Paul talks about this very clearly in Galatians chapter 5. I think this is important for us to see. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And Paul says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under law. 
The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul talks what that looks like there in Galatians 5, to live a life of service to our Savior, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So godly fruit should be evident in our character, in our conversations, and in our conduct. And we should live a fruitful life serving our Savior and not sin. Paul is talking about the law here in Romans 7. The law produced the pressure to perform, to measure up, to try to prove ourselves good enough, to try to earn our merit before God. And even though as sinners we are never good enough, Jesus loved us enough to die on the cross in our place for our sin so that through faith in him we may have a relationship with him. We're freed from the penalty of law and we're entered into his eternal family. And that gracious and amazing act of love frees us from the pressure to perform and gives us the pleasure to serve. It frees us from the pressure the pressure to measure up and gives us the pleasure to serve. So we're not under law anymore. But we have a relationship with Jesus, and that relationship with Jesus should motivate us how we live our lives because true release comes from a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't come from rules. And I'm so thankful that our relationship with Jesus isn't performance-based. We're released from trying to measure up to a set of rules to earn his love. Eleanor Roosevelt once said this, Freedom makes a huge requirement of every human being. With freedom comes great responsibility. With freedom comes great responsibility. And because of our relationship with Jesus, we have a great responsibility to live a fruitful life that doesn't serve sin, but it serves our Savior. I came across this statement that sums it up well in closing today. Though freed from the law with its stern demands, no longer ruled by its harsh commands, I'm bound by Christ's love and am truly free to live and act responsibly. Because true release comes from a relationship with Jesus, not from rules. And remember, Christians, we've died to the law in order to live for God. We've died to the law in order to live for God. It's not a freedom to do whatever we want. We've died from the penalty, and because of our relationship with Christ, that should motivate us to want to live a life of service. We have the pleasure to serve him, to make much of him. But true release comes from that relationship with Jesus, not from rules. Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had to, to look into your word this morning. Thank you for 
the good news that though we could never earn a right standing before you, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the price and the penalty for our sin so that through faith we may have a relationship with you. And Lord, we're no longer under the penalty of the law, but we've been released to live a life of service to you. And Lord, it's my prayer that as we walk out of these doors today, wherever we go this week, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, at work, with our friends, that we'd realize we have the opportunity to serve you. We have the privilege to bring you honor and glory. We've been freed from the penalty of the law with the pleasure to serve you. And Lord, it's my hope and prayer that, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would empower us to live lives that bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name.